Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, as you may have heard in the news and caught in stories that were floating around the web, if you have a Facebook or Twitter account or you follow anything Disney-related, you probably heard that the D23 Expo was going on about a week or so ago out in uh, California. Now, I personally couldn't make it out to California. It just didn't work out for me timing-wise. And, well, frankly, it's a little expensive to fly out there to, uh, to see all these things. But I followed it on Twitter and, you know, through various social media sites and had a great time kind of keeping up with everything that was going on over at D23. It really looked like a lot of fun. Now, I know there were some issues and people had some problems getting into some of the events and had to line up at 4 o'clock in the morning, for example, to get to some things. But overall, it looked like it was a lot of fun, and I think people enjoyed themselves. And, you know, that would have been kind of fun, and to have the camaraderie and be able to hobnob a little bit with some Disney types and some celebrities might have been a lot of fun. Now, I'm not going to cover everything that happened at D23. I'm just going to highlight a few things that caught my attention that I thought were really kind of interesting. So I'll get to those in a moment, but first I wanted to talk about two things that were really kind of outside of D23 that, that uh, caught my attention this week. The first was that you're starting to see signs pop up around Disney World that talk about the bus wait times. So at every one of the bus stops, they're starting to install screens that tell you when the next bus is coming and where it's going to. And so you can look at the screen and you can see when your bus is going to be here. So you're standing, let's say, at the Wilderness Lodge and you want to know when the next bus is coming to the Magic Kingdom. You can look down the list and it'll tell you the next bus is arriving at 1255 that goes to the Magic Kingdom. So that way you're not kept kind of waiting, well, am I in the, in the beginning of the 15-minute cycle, the end of the 15-minute cycle, or somewhere in the middle? So it's kind of neat because they've started putting these up. So for now, it's just the simple, you know, here's the next bus coming to the Magic Kingdom or here's the next bus coming to Epcot. But I imagine that at some point, they'll start to put more information on there and be a little bit more uh, interactive with you. And also, I know that they're planning on using the Magic Bands to uh, be able to manage traffic a little bit. If you're standing in this area, then you want to go to the Magic Kingdom, so they may dispatch a bus a little sooner. So that stuff is all coming, but the first phase is in place now, and I think it's really kind of cool because it kind of moves the needle a little bit in terms of Disney being able to better manage some traffic and get people around a little more quickly so that your cycle times and your wait times aren't quite as long, and I think that's, that's kind of cool. The second thing was that Disney quietly released something called the Shop Disney Parks app, and what that allows you to do when you're up at Disney in, uh, in Disney World or Disneyland, you can find the merchandise you're looking for without having to go into every shop and ask cast members. You can just go kind of searching for it, find what you're looking for. You can have them reserve it for you. You can go pick it up, or you can, have, you can pay for it and pick it up at the uh, guest services desk or have it delivered to your hotel room. Hey, pretty cool. They've kind of taken this next level of being able to find some of the merchandise you want. As a former merchandise host working as a cast member, one of the things I remember was, you know, especially at 3 o'clock in the morning, you're closing down the Emporium, and somebody walks in and goes, gosh, I forgot to get my Mickey Mouse pirate hat back when I was at Pirates of the Caribbean a couple of hours ago. And 
as a cast member, you were going to try and get it and get it in the store at 3 o'clock in the morning so that their last experience in the parks would be a great one. That was the whole goal, was you would try to work toward getting them what they were looking for. And now you're kind of taking that to a new level. Rather than having to find a cast member who then has to do what I used to do, which was calling around to different places and then going and getting it for them, now it can actually be set up and delivered to you. Kind of a cool way to approach the problem, and I think it'll work out pretty well in the long run. I like the concept. I want to see the app a little more in, in practice. You know, again, Disney is doing a good job of kind of managing expectations and helping people to get to where they want to go and get the things that they want so that they're there kind of in real time and they don't have to go off hunting for them. Very clever. Uh, and it's, you know, kind of, I know at the, at the end of the day, it's about the bottom line. The buses, if you're waiting in line for a bus, you're not spending any money anywhere. And if you're looking for that merchandise, you may wind up disappointed and have done a lot of shopping around and may not wind up buying anything. But if they help you to find it, you're more likely to buy it. So, And they may suggest some things to you in the app that uh, you may be interested in. That maybe your related item, items or other things people looked at when they looked at that. So I think there's some clever things to come. Uh, I want to see how this app develops. Now, talking about D23. A couple of things that were going on there. One is they in introduced a couple of new Disney legends. I found that to be a little bit suspicious in some ways. George Lucas became a Disney legend, and I'm like, but George never really worked for Disney. Yes, they bought his property of Star Wars, and yes, the Star Wars franchise has some merit, but it just seemed kind of funny that they inducted him that way. But more power to him. I think that's kind of cool in its own way. Now, another thing they, ha they talked a lot about was uh, a number of the movies that are coming out. Uh, so there's a number of different Disney and Pixar films, and then beyond both of those, that are coming out over the next... Oh, two years or so. So they talked about Toy Story 4, Cars 3, Moana, uh, Incredibles 2, Finding Dory, Coco, The Good Dinosaur, the Star Wars movies. You know, it just kind of the list went on and on and on and on and on. And you think about all these movies that they're putting out, and some of them are going to be quality movies, I'm sure, and some of them will just be okay. You know, I saw Inside Out, and it was pretty good. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like the greatest film. So I have to wonder where they'll go with Toy Story 4 or Cars 3 or even The Incredibles 2, for that matter. You know, taking the storyline and expanding on a storyline that you already had and you kind of concluded, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they can do some good things with it or maybe it'll just turn out to be okay. I can't say. But I'm looking forward to seeing what they put out and kind of seeing the production quality and knowing that Pixar usually puts out some good stuff. I think it's going to really have some good entertainment value. So I look forward to seeing all of those. But the one I'm most interested in, I'm a Star Wars geek. I want to see what J.J. Abrams does to mess up, I mean, keep the franchise going. Now, the reason I kind of made the joke about messing up was he took the Star Trek franchise and he kind of reinvented it and turned it a little bit, and it was different than it was, and it was a little frustrating because it, it changed the kind of complexion of the storyline when they did this time travel thing, and he has a tendency to do a lot of time travel things in his stories. So I'm a little concerned that he might do that. But I'm hoping that I'm wrong, and it turns out to be a really good story that he's, that he's put together for it. And he's got a couple of teasers out there, and he talked about, it a little, talked about it a little at D23 and did some things to kind of get you interested in it. And I caught this audio clip uh, at uh, Variety Magazine that I thought was kind of interesting. And it's not, it wasn't at D23 specifically, but it relates back to something that he said there. So let me play this for you. really focused on how do we tell a story and incorporate what people know in a way that won't feel like we're just doing callbacks for the sake of it. It's not about a best of moment. It's really about telling us a, a solid story. And we were very lucky 
have the whole cast do such an extraordinary job. I hear things because my friends are Star Wars fans, so they ask me personally, what's going on? You know, are you force sensitive or you're not force sensitive? I just forget. I think JJ just put something in. I just forget. I can tell you that Ray, uh, she begins alone. You can see that she has some fun with Finn along the way. She evolves as the film goes on. The relationships evolve as the film goes on. Well, what we know so far is that their worlds collide in some way that is very important to the balance of the galaxy. And uh, these characters who don't have similar backgrounds come together to be a part of an adventure. That's our connection. It's almost like cheating because you bring Harrison Ford out and people went crazy. They love Han Solo. It made me realize there is a generation of people characters in this world who may have heard of him, who may not have heard of him at all, what would he mean to people now? And that just struck a nerve for me. And so it's, it's certainly part of our story. Well, I think J.J. has honored the world that George Lucas created and brought it to the present. I mean, you're going to find a world that you recognize, but with things that will surprise and delight you. I just know, regardless of what's being speculated, people are going to love it. You know, it's, they're in for something incredibly special. Chewie, we're home. So I think there's going to be some intriguing storylines that build out of this. You have the two main characters who, uh, who appear in the previews and, and are going to be the new, two main characters in the story. They both spoke in this, and J.J. Abrams spoke in it at the end. You heard Han Solo and Chewbacca. So I think there's an interesting interplay with the Han Solo story that's going to come out of this, and I think there's, that's intriguing to me. I hope, it, uh, hope it turns out to be as interesting as I've made it out to be in my mind. You never know. But I hope it, uh, it really turns out to be something special. Now kind of looking around at all the things that they're doing, you know, there's a number of things happening. A couple of podcasts ago, I talked about what does $3 billion mean to Disney? And I think we got most of our answer at D23. They're going to be doing a massive expansion. And there's a lot of things that are going to be coming to Disney parks that weren't there before. Start off over in Shanghai, where they were talking about putting the Iron Man attraction over there, and I think that's kind of interesting. But moving back to the United States, and specifically Disney World, it seems like that's where a lot of the focus is going to be. Now, the Magic Kingdom itself really has no immediate plans to do much of uh, any enhancements. They spend a lot of time and money and effort putting together the changes for Fantasyland and doing some of the other things that kind of came around as a part of moving and changing and morphing sort of the parks and the flow of traffic and things like that. So I think you won't see a lot of changes that are going to happen at the Magic Kingdom right now, with the one exception being the Skipper Canteen. And this will be at the uh, what was the Adventureland veranda, kind of across from where the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse is, where they're retheming it to be a Jungle Cruise-themed restaurant, where they'll have some kitschy stuff happening. They'll probably have a lot of theming there, some, some food that you might expect to find on the Jungle Cruise if you thought about it. And uh, I think that they'll be doing some, some things, like the Jungle Cruise skippers doing some hamming up. Now, if they go halfway as far as what the Adventurers Club used to do, it, would, it could be pretty cool. Um, you know, you could do some interesting storylines and have people kind of coming in and going and doing little shows in addition to having the servers be themed into it. You could do some fun things. I think you could really do something interesting. I'm curious where that goes and how it turns out because that one sounds like it's kind of interesting. It has the potential to be something a little bit more than just your casual dining type experience and maybe be something a little more. On the order of what they did with the uh, Be Our Guest restaurant where there's a little bit more happening there, it's a little more interesting Thematically, it's fun. Sometimes the Beast and Belle are there, 
and you have some different things going on. And, you know, it's kind of fun and interactive to a large degree with the, uh, the different rooms you go into and the things you can see. So hopefully they'll do something similar with the Skipper Canteen. So that's pretty much it at the Magic Kingdom. Now, if we turn over to the Animal Kingdom, we realize that Avatar Land, or I think they're calling it Pandora's Box, something like that, uh, they'll be opening that one up um, coming soon. I believe that's going to open sometime next year. And it's got some intriguing possibilities, and uh, at the D23 Expo, they had a model of it on display, and they talked about a lot of the elements that will be there. And here's Joe Rohde and some other guests to tell you a little bit more about it. Well, you know, you know, Animal Kingdom is a park that's built around a, a value system place that celebrates the richness, the beauty, the adventure, the intrinsic value of nature itself. But, but until now, we've really only been able to celebrate half of that story, the half that happens in daylight. Those of us, and there's few of us, who have had the opportunity to be in the park in the evening know that when the sun sets, the, the whole pace changes, the whole mood changes, your attitude, your attention to the environment changes around you. So we're not just talking about keeping the park open for a couple more hours. We're looking at how to craft experiences that are going to capture, to capture this change and rhythm, this change in spirit uh, that happens in a natural place at night. Now, of course, it's a Disney project. It has to have pixie dust. Uh, the pixie dust of Animal Kingdom is the fireflies. And the fireflies are going to host us into this experience of, of the magic of nature. I have to say, the collaboration on this project has been truly unique. Maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. We have these two creative organizations coming together. Lightstorm, which is James Cameron's organization, and Walt Disney Imagineering, both of which embrace this idea of gripping story, stunning visual design, and radical technical innovation with the same kind of enthusiasm, the same level of skill. So this combined team has enabled us to create a mega team, like a super team, uh, that allows us to create this really vividly expressive, immersive world. And it's just incredible. You know, you've got the floating mountains, and if you haven't, I invite you to go over and look at them on our model. They're pretty incredible. Giant mountains floating over your head, bioluminescent rainforest all around you, soaring on banshees. We've been working side by side with these guys, with Jim and with John, to make sure that what we do is true to this kind of mythic scale and epic feeling of, of the planet, of the land of Pandora. And, you know, our goal, our combined goal, is really to create a... We want you to think that it's real. We want you to feel that it's real. And I don't just mean realistic detail. I mean that you walk away with a sense that this thing that happened to you was real. A transformational experience that you will remember for the rest of your lives. Ladies and gentlemen, James Cameron, Jan Lydell. Go. Well, you did, a, you did a great intro on it. I think the thing that impressed John and I so much when we first got introduced to the idea of this project is these guys are crazy. They're crazier than us. I mean... We thought we were the most ambitious guys out there in terms of trying to do fantasy imagery and create an alternative universe. And, and uh, we found out that their vision, Joe's vision and that of the other you know, people out of engineering, so far exceeded our expectations. And, well, by the way, let's, let's tell them the, the name of, of this land. It's Pandora, the world of Avatar. And people wanted to go to Pandora. And thanks to you and your team, people are really going to have a, the ultimate, I believe, immersive themed experience. You 
because these floating mountains, they frame you in a way like no other land can, and we're going to transport people to this world. This is an important point, actually. It is Pandora, the world of Avatar. You will not be revisiting great moments of a film. The adventure is yours. It is yours to have on the planet. Um, we are presenting to you a world in which you are going to have your own personal adventures. But part of those experiences, I think we're going to be offering in our, our, one of our attractions. Uh, we, people have heard that we're doing a, a, a flying ride. Uh, that, ride, that ride, we are calling the Flight of Passage. And I think that's very important because it's something that touches on what all Navis have to go through. It's, it's sort of a right. Do you have what it takes? And this experience is going to allow you to, to fly across Pandora in a very personalized experience that, that's unique to you, that, that you're going to get to experience it firsthand, much the same way Jake did when, when he learned to fly. I mean, the, the, the motion-based technology and the, the, the film software and the projection technology is so advanced now that you literally feel like you're flying. I know you've heard that before with, with other rides, but this is on a whole other level. There is another ride, of course. You can imagine that this flying ride is going to be pretty physical, pretty demanding, uh, uh, sort of in a thrill ride category, even though it's, it's very scenic, it's very beautiful, it's very emotional. Um, we want to make sure that everyone who comes to this world of Pandora experiences the full range of, of, of what it has to offer. The other ride, uh, the, the water-based ride, is this very fluid, very romantic, very lyrical journey uh, into the bioluminescent forest, which because of where it is on the planet, is in a permanent state of bioluminescence. Um, you can always visit it, it will always be glowing, it will always go off forever, there's animals in there, there's a whole experience that you have. And that experience is deliberately designed to, to, um, to allow the entire family to experience it, to be something that's just really beautiful, really lyrical, uh, really emotional. It's like in the movie, the land itself becomes bioluminescent at night. So you don't have to just go on the ride, but the world itself will come alive. This point about research, those of you who know Animal Kingdom know that we strive for this level of almost hyper-real detail because all of our stories are so anchored in animals and animals are so irrevocably real. Now, when you're watching the film Avatar, for the most part, you're watching principal photography. You're watching actors and actresses, well, characters, who are carrying forth the story. And all that beauty, all that richness, all that environment that you believe in is a setting for that action. When we build a world, you are the protagonist, and all of a sudden, a floating mountain that went by for three or four seconds, you can stand and look at for an hour, and it has to hold up to an hour's worth of scrutiny. And I think that that, that was what was amazing, too, is the, the level of kind of, let's, let's create a narrative, let's, let's create a thematic story here that's taking place after the war, the, the gunships are all down and, and, and rusting in the jungle, and, it's a celebration of humans being welcomed to Pandora. And that's what you'll feel. You're being welcomed to this wondrous place. You know, hopefully, like Jake arrived on Pandora, and he left with his eyes wide open, that hopefully guests will do the same thing. They will arrive, and this experience of actually being transported to Pandora will open their eyes and they'll look at things a little bit differently. I, I think that's right. We, we, we want to use this experience of Pandora to remind us of of Earth itself. We live on an extraordinary planet. So you'll have the, uh, the, the bioluminescent plants, you'll have the nighttime show, and then you'll have some other things that are happening to make Animal Kingdom a little more appealing. 
I'm still on the fence. I'm not quite as opposed to it as I used to be, but I'm still on the fence about how good the whole Avatar experience will be at the Animal Kingdom. It just kind of takes away from what the Animal Kingdom is, and I still don't know that Avatar is really a sustainable movie in some ways. So we'll see. I'm, uh, the ideas intrigue me, and I think it's an interesting concept they've got going. I'm just not sure how it's all going to net out. So I did hear that also the Kilimanjaro Safaris is going to put a lighted track out so they can have more of the safaris that go out after dark. Because the objective is to continue to get guests to want to stay in the park after 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock, depending on what time of year it is. So the, the goal is to keep the park open longer and have more lighted pathways so that guests will take the uh, Kilimanjaro Safaris uh, after dark. Over in Epcot, there are two significant changes that are happening. Well, one is more significant than the other, I suppose. Of course, over in the Land Pavilion, they're going to be replacing the ride. They announced formally that it will be soaring over the horizon, which is a worldwide view as opposed to just a California view. And so you'll get the same basic attraction, but it will have different views and vistas, and I think they're going to revise it slightly so that the, maybe the, um, the machines work a little bit differently so you get a little bit more uh, interaction with it because they're calling it a uh, 4D ride. Um, I'm sure the orange smell will still be there. So that's probably where the uh, the fourth dimension comes from. But I imagine there'll be a little bit more uh, something that happens to make it just a little bit more compelling. Now, we'll see. I think the whole idea is intriguing, and uh, I think there's some good things that could happen from this. I mean, I like Soarin' Over California, but Soarin' Over the Horizon sounds like fun. It kind of takes it to a new level and shows you more vistas and more things. Plus, they're adding a third theater to make sure that there's plenty of room to make the uh, queues move just a little bit faster. Now, you know that when Soarin' Over the Horizon first opens, the queues are going to build up enormously. But over time, with three theaters, that should start to calm down a little bit uh, and should start to settle in and be a little bit more uh, easily accessible for everyone. So uh, I look forward to seeing that and want to see what the new show looks like. I, I think um, I think it's a pretty cool idea to do the Soarin' like that and uh, come up with something a little different. Now, the second thing that's coming to Epcot is Frozen Ever After. Now, I have to admit, I was caught slightly off guard by this. Uh, I know that they were changing the Maelstrom ride to be uh, basically Arendelle, and they would have a Frozen story happening there. And I knew that they were creating a princess meet-and-greet that was going to happen uh, kind of behind the Norway Pavilion. What I didn't realize was how extensive the Frozen Ever After attraction area or space was going to be. I saw the uh, renderings of it, and I went, hmm, okay, I guess this is going to be in the Norway Pavilion, and it's going to be off to the side, kind of in behind where they were doing some of the construction. What they're trying to do is create the courtyard that you see in Arendelle, and uh, have some interactive elements there. So you'd be able to meet Olaf and Kristoff, and then, of course, Anna and Elsa. And the goal was to be able to get to see all of them uh, and have a way to, to interact with them along the way. So by creating this courtyard and this vista, you're creating something a little bit more extensive. Now, I wonder if they're actually going to recreate it so that the entrance to the attraction is going to be somewhere in that area rather than in the main courtyard. I'm curious because after seeing this, I'm thinking to myself, that would make a much more uh, interesting uh, foray into it if you had to kind of go around the Stave Church kind of toward the back and you had the, you had the courtyard that looked like something like Arendelle and then you would actually enter the ride from there. You know, you might still enter the queue the same, you might still get in the same queue that it used to be, but you might enter the queue from that side and come around rather than having the entrance right in the middle of the courtyard. I don't know. We'll see if that works out that way because I wasn't really, I wasn't even sure that this was going to be built there. But it's kind of interesting to see all of these things that's, that are that are happening. 
I think they said this was going to take like a couple of acres to build. So I'm like, wow, this is really much bigger than what they originally had, uh, or what I thought they had for, uh, the, for the Norway Pavilion. But if you look at the pictures, it's clear that the uh, cast members that they show in the picture are wearing the Norway costumes, and you can see the Stave Church in the background, so you know that it's the right place. It's just a question of what they're doing exactly. And I know they had pulled construction permits to do some work back in that area. I just thought they were actually building a meet and greet. I didn't realize they were building something this extensive. So kind of interesting. Uh, and when they announced it, I kind of did a, oh, right, okay. That, uh, that kind of intrigued me. And I think the whole Anna and Elsa thing, I think that's got some staying power, and I, I want to see where that all goes. They're interesting characters, and my daughter still loves them. You know, a couple of years into it now, and she's still singing the songs all the time. So, and I think most young girls are, and I, I think that's tremendous. And with the new movie coming out, you could really grow on that franchise and really do something pretty cool. Um, as you know, we are building Frozen Ever After and adding it to the Norway Pavilion. I thought I'd give you a project report, because right now all you see are construction fences. Um, but this attraction is coming on. We are deep in cons- construction and production. And as so as you know, we're taking you to Arendelle for the winter and summer celebration with all your favorite characters from the film. Right now at Imagineering, we are starting to bring the characters to life as only we can. Is he just the cutest spin? So cute. Now we've got Anna and Elsa. We have a wall in protection up there, and it's just great, but he's just fantastic. So we're really fortunate, too, because we're right across the street from Disney Animation Studios. So we've got all the talented people that worked with us, worked on Frozen, and made that such a hit working with us um, over at Walt Disney Animation, and we're lucky to have access to so much of the original team. And in fact, we've got lyrics and dialogue. We worked with um, Bobby Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez to help us out with that. So we are really bringing in the top talent. Fantastic access. Along with this new attraction, we're also expanding the pavilion. And we are adding the Royal Summer House. It's a charming cabin um, where guests will be able to meet Anna and Elsa. The cabin is based on actual historic log cabin in Norway. And um, in fact, we just sent our project team to Norway to make sure that we get the character and the detailing just right, very similar to to what the the film team did when we visited that country. So we're confident that with this attraction, we'll bring more guests to the Norway Pavilion and we'll increase their interest and knowledge of the Norwegian culture, just as World Showcase is intended to do. So these are just a few of the highlights. We're really busy with lots going on in Orlando, but we really wanted to show these off to you today, and we're so excited about how they're all coming together. And um, hope you come to Orlando and see them soon with us. Thank you. Now, before I get back to Hollywood Studios, I wanted to mention that I did hear that there's a plan to put a Marvel land at Disney's California Adventure. And I think that's interesting that they want to put something related to Marvel Entertainment in there. So there'll be something, uh, something kind of neat that, that comes in there. And that leads me around to talking about the last piece to the puzzle, and that's what's happening at Hollywood Studios slash Disneyland. There's actually a plan to put a Star Wars land in Disneyland. So the goal there is to create about 14 acres worth of stuff. And now we know why Disney purchased 14 acres worth of land behind Disneyland. I think that's all related to putting Star Wars land there. Now more on that in just a moment, because there's also a Star Wars land coming to Hollywood Studios. Now, there was no announcement made about what Hollywood Studios' new name is going to be, which surprised me a lot, because it seemed to me that Hollywood Studios was ripe for a new name, and uh, this would have been the right time at the D23 Expo to be able to announce what that name is going to be. 
but they didn't. They left that off completely, which I thought was kind of interesting. So no word on a name yet. Um, you have to figure it's going to be something like Disney's Hollywood Adventure or something along those lines because they want to still capture sort of the movie-making piece of it, but while keeping sort of the, the studio theming, right? So you kind of want to have that. But clearly, this is going to be a very different park than we had talked about before. This is a different kind of place. Everything about Hollywood Studios is about to change. Now, it changed a lot when it went from Disney's MGM Studios to being Disney's Hollywood Studios, and it's about to undergo a massive overhaul in what it's going to be. Now, there's two major things that are going to be happening at Disney's Hollywood Studios. The first is going to be a Toy Story Land. So there's going to be two uh, big attractions there. One is going to be a slinky dog sort of roller coaster, and the other one is some sort of little green men exhibition show something. They haven't announced what it was formally, but there'll be something with the little green men. Maybe you're inside the the big machine and the claw comes to get you. The claw! I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be exactly, but I think it's kind of interesting. They did some renderings of what they expect the area to look like, and they kind of laid it out in terms of the general uh, feel and the flow of the park just to give you a sense of it. Now, on my show notes page, I'm going to put a sort of a map of the studios and where I think they're going to put and what I think they're going to do with the space that they have there. I think it's kind of interesting how this uh, plays out. They've got some interesting ideas in terms of what they want to do. So in context, they have said it's the Toy Story Land is going to be about 11 acres. And realizing that Hollywood Studios is currently about 140 acres, you know, you're a little bit under 10% of the park is going to be used up by Toy Story Land. So when you stop and think about that, you go, wow, it's going to be, it's going to take up a lot of space. So in my humble estimation, and I could be completely wrong on this, I think what they're going to do is they're going to take everything from like where, where Pixar Place is, they're going to expand back a little bit, kind of if you were to uh, keep walking on Pixar Place's road there and just keep going back, they'll go back another you know quarter mile or so on that road, so they'll expand that area out a little bit, and I think they were talking about moving the road that's behind Hollywood Studios as a result. You'll take away all of the places where like Catastrophe Canyon was or is currently, Uh, and you'll do some other things there, and then it'll expand out the other direction toward where Muppet Vision is. If you think about the park, that would be off to the left. As you get to the end of Pixar Place, you take a left, and you pass the Splash Fountain, then you have the little cafe there, and then just a little bit further on is the uh, Muppet Vision. Now, why I say this is because you currently have that play area there that's the uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids play area. And that movie is kind of antiquated. It was a long time ago. And certainly, if you're going to make a new play area, you might as well theme it to the Toy Story Land and kind of fit it in with the theme. So you could use all of that area and make that the 11-acre expansion into the Toy Story area. So I think there's a lot of interesting potential there. My only concern with it has to do with the fact that it's been a long time since Toy Story came out. Yes, I know there's a Toy Story 4 coming out now, but... You know, why now? Why not earlier? It just kind of strikes me that it's, it seems like it's a little late to the game, uh, considering how old the Toy Story franchise is at this point. So, yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea. In fact, I, I think it's a pretty good idea. I just found it interesting that it took that long to come up with something like this and really expand on that concept. Now, the other thing that kind of bothers me just a little bit... I like cars better than I like Toy Story, as movie franchises go. And I was really hoping they were going to do a Cars Land in Florida and uh, kind of expand the idea of what they did in Disney's California Adventure. 
But it makes it does make sense to me that they're doing something different in Florida because you want people to come to the different parks and have different experiences, not exactly cookie cutter, same thing at every park you go to. So it does make sense to me, and I get it. I'm just kind of sorry that it wasn't switched and we didn't get Cars Land. But that's okay. I mean, it's all good, and I think it'll still be a lot of fun, and I, I think I'll enjoy going there. And then finally, the uh, last bit of expansion that's happening that I think is really kind of relevant here is this thing with Star Wars Land. Now, as I said, over in Disneyland, they purchased and acquired about 14 acres of land to expand the uh, Star Wars Land out there. In Hollywood Studios, they plan for something around the same size, about 14 acres worth of land that they're going to expand into. Now, realizing again that 14 acres against 140 acres is about 10% of the property, you're going to be taking over a significant amount of real estate to do something that's Star Wars themed. So in the Hollywood Studios, again, looking at my map, I think the concept here is, again, to kind of go behind where Star Tours is and go a little bit further out that way, so you'd use up the rest of the park that's kind of behind Star Tours. And again, they'll move the road and kind of shift a little bit and go up that way. I think it's also very likely they'll, they'll come a little bit further in toward Muppet Vision. Now, whether they go all the way into New York Street, I can't say. I mean, New York Street has its own uh, sort of highlights to it, and they do use it for the Osborne uh, family of lights and so forth. So I don't know that they'll actually get rid of it. They may just go around it, basically, and come out. If that's the case, then they would probably go out and they would take over the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular space. They would probably go out toward Echo Lake, and they would probably go a little bit further up, uh, to more toward the entrance of the park. They'll probably uh, take away all the buildings there where the, uh, the radio station are and the superstar television and whatever, all those things, that you know, uh, everything that's there. They'll probably leave the theater intact but retheme it or put a new facade on it. But my guess is that they'll take over a lot of that space as well to make it a true Star Wars-themed land. Now, here's where it gets interesting, because in both Disneyland and the Hollywood Studios, I think that you have an opportunity to create two unique experiences. Kind of like what I was saying about Cars and Toy Story, why make them a cookie cutter of each other? Why not create two different sort of experiences? Now, they've said that it's going to be something more related to the current franchise of movies rather than the historical. It'll be a vista of something that you would be familiar with from Episode 7 or 8, potentially. So if that's the case, then you could do different vistas at each one of them. So the facades would be different and sort of the experience would be a little different, but you could have similar types of attractions inside it. Now, they haven't said exactly what attractions are going to be there, or at least I didn't see what the attractions were going to be, but it looks like you know, there's going to be at least one dark-type ride. Uh, there's going to be an expansion on some of the Jedi Training Academy-type things, and then some expansion on some of the thoughts and things that they do, like for Star Wars Weekend, so that it becomes a much more broad experience. So you do some different things, and you have uh, interactive and immersive experiences, and you'll still have t Star Tours kind of as the anchor. So I think there's some interesting things that come here. I think they'll probably come up with some other creative ideas and ways to use their space so that you have some weenies, some things that draw people in, some things that get people interested. You'll probably have permanent character meet and greets, rotating the characters that come through there, but you'll probably do some things like that. They also plan on doing some more Star Wars-themed uh, activities during the day in the park so that they become much, uh, much bigger. Uh, they also want to have uh, some shows and some different uh, thematic things, like some of the uh, might be doing some fireworks or things like that, or a light show uh, that would be kind of nice and special that would be Star Wars related. Now, the reality is, given that this is going to take probably a couple of years to complete uh, overall, they have some plans to take what was the animation studio on the other side of the park. 
So if, you're, if you come in the park and you go through the, uh, the archway there that says Disney's Hollywood Studios, so you come up the uh, Hollywood Boulevard and then you make a right and go off toward where the uh, Little Mermaid Voyage Under the Sea ride is, they're planning on taking that animation studio that's in the back. They used to have the uh, walkthrough that was behind the animation. You could see the artists working. Then it became sort of this hybrid where you could see some of the stations where they would work, and they'd, they'd do a drawing experience on the back end. And they had some character meet and greets, like um, some of the uh, current characters from various movies that had come out, and then always uh, Fantasia's Mickey. I think they're taking all of that area, and they're converting it into a Star Wars-themed area to kind of bridge the transition until they get to actually building all the Star Wars lands. Because I think what's going to happen is, for a period of time, a lot of the Star Wars area is going to be, or the area where the Star Wars is going to be, is going to be blocked off. So they have to do something to get people the experience and get them engaged with it. So for the short term, they'll have some uh, movie stuff there, talking about the new movie, the Episode 7. They'll have some um, Force Awakens things happening. So that way you can go in and you can at least experience some of what uh, will be happening with Star Wars uh, land. And they'll be able to kind of uh, explain to you what's going to happen and give you some experiences while you're kind of waiting for the rest of it to be built. So I think there's some interesting opportunities. And I, I don't know what they're doing in Disneyland. I suspect it's something similar, but I'm probably on a smaller scale because they don't have the land or the space to be able to work with. But I think the Star Wars-themed land mostly is going to be on the other side of the park, kind of behind where the park is now so that it expands outward and you don't disrupt traffic as much in Disneyland. I'm a Star Wars geek. I love the concept of having Star Wars land. I love the idea of it. And I've talked to a couple of friends already, and we've all said, yeah, man, i got to get up there and i got to see it as soon as it gets built. And, and I'm thinking, get up there and see it. I, I'm ready to live there. But, you know, I want to see what they actually come up with and what they do and how they kind of change the guest experience and perception. Because the one thing I can tell you is they're spending $3 billion. They're going to want to return on the investment. So you got to figure ticket prices are going to go up a little bit and packages will go up a little bit to try and counteract that. And in Disneyland's case, I'm wondering if that kind of changes the mix of getting people to not be the annual pass holders that they are now so that you get more tourists to come there and you can fill the park differently rather than always treating the locals the way that you treat them. I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I just have this hunch in the back of my mind. It feels like they're changing something. And with adding Fast Pass out in Disneyland, it kind of changes the nature of what they do anyway. And I, I just have this, you know, this inkling that something is about to change. And, and I think the same is true for Disney World, that you know, you're trying to create a, a space that's really uh, for tourists, for people to come in and visit and have a vacation there, rather than having the locals and rather than having you know, annual pass holders there. I don't, I'm not saying they don't want annual pass holders, but I think you're trying to tip the scales to get more people to come and have a vacation and the experience, right, and get people to come there and do different things. So we'll see. You know, I hope I'm wrong on, on a lot of that and that it changes and it becomes a, uh, you know, more interesting and more uh, compelling and, you know, they make it worthwhile. You know, if they do raise the ticket price, and like I said, they probably will, I hope that it's worthwhile and it feels like you're still getting your value out of it. And, I, you know, if they do it right, you will. Uh, I think it's just a tremendous idea to build things like this and you could have so much more happening. So that's, that's my take on it. Now, I really, um, I really enjoyed, as I said, reading all about all the expansion plans, everything they were doing, um, talking about all the things that are coming. I think there's some tremendously good things that are, that are happening here. And uh, I really look forward to seeing all of them uh, come up. And, uh, you know, I hope, that it, I hope that it all works out and everything comes together and it's just a beautiful place and someplace that I really want to go. I'm a geek. I'm a, I'm a Disney fan. I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm a Toy Story fan. I, I like it all. I like what they're doing. 
I, I want to see it come together. I, I want it today. Honestly, that's what I really want is I want it today. I don't want to wait a couple of years to have some of this stuff to come together. So there you go. That's my take on everything that's happening uh, as it relates to Disney's $3 billion investment, as it relates to everything that's happening with the uh, entirety of the D23 Expo and what was going on there. From my perspective, those are the things that captured my interest. And I really want to see where it all nets out and what they do with it because I think they just have so much – Disney has so much creativity that uh, I think they can really use it and, and get something really cool with it. All right. So that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 